We are in um, Romans um, chapter 1, and while we, I think, read it last week, uh, verses uh, 14 and 15, to me it kind of makes a a part of the um, following two verses, so um, I'm going to read, if you will, uh, verses 14 through 17. Um, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul, as he had started uh, his letter, was you know telling the Romans who he had not been to see. That was not a church he had founded, but he was eager to go, and he was writing uh, to them. And here, in these four verses, almost this is probably the most dense, as Wright said, of anything he wrote in this um, book, and. As we all know, this is one that uh, can be uh, challenging even to those that are well-versed in theology. I kind of, uh, yesterday when I was reading through some of this, I started saying, okay, why did I say to John, and John so readily agree that Romans was a good study, and I'm going, hey, stupid, it's for you. Uh, because it's, um, you know, I've read some of this stuff, and I read it, and then I read it again, and um, but it's for all of us. I mean, Paul was trying to share his thoughts as much as anything. This book includes more of his theology than any other. It's his longest letter. But he was saying that you know he was under obligation. He felt that it, he was called to do. Christ had commanded him to go and preach, and. He's got it here. He starts off, he's talking about Greeks and to barbarians. And to several centuries before, the Greeks in their culture viewed that you were either a Greek and spoke Greek or you were a barbarian because they, in some ways they didn't even view your language as having any rhythm or rhyme to it. It just sounded vulgar. That's where the, the word comes from when they're saying barbar, that's... Sort of the Greek equivalent of talking gibberish. If they speak something other than Greek, they're saying barbar. Okay, this is this goes back to the question I asked last week: Would both the barbarians and the Greeks be considered Gentiles? Yes. Okay. So that that's what comes in the. <laughs> yeah, he speaks gibberish. I don't think so. But you know, so and and if you will, a. a a Greek at this time, a person that really viewed himself as a good Greek, probably saw the Romans in their Latin as barbarians. It wasn't any different, even though Rome now ruled most of the known world and what part they had, and they were working on capturing. And so both to the wise and to the foolish, you know, he wanted to preach and share with them that message. And then he goes on, and what's interesting too, you get into verse 16, 
and he goes to the Jews first and then to the Greek. Now, the Greek in this verse really is interchangeable with Gentile because it um, the Jews saw it similarly to the way the Greeks of old saw it. It's either us or everybody else. And so Paul is telling them here that Yes, it's to the Jews first, but it's also for everybody. It's not exclusively for any one group, one tribe, one nation. It's all nations. Um, And so he's doing that. But he's wanting to come and share that with the people in Rome. And he starts off, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, the small group that were the Christians in Rome at this time were so far down on the pecking order, if you will, they might as well, they were below the table. Uh, For the most part, they were poor. They weren't Roman citizens, while Paul was. They wouldn't have been. They had migrated there for one reason or another or had been brought there and probably were hesitant to let it be known that they believed in something other than what everybody else believed in. At this point, uh, the Caesars had made themselves and called themselves God, and you had to respond accordingly. But some of this goes back even to to David in the Psalms, in um, Psalms 119, verse 46. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and shall not be put to shame. Now, he was going to stand tall, being Paul, and share his beliefs. Paul was the same way. Wherever he went, he shared it. He was happy to share it. He was proud to be able to do it. Because even in his various missionary journeys, he was run out of town. It was a lot of times the Jews who were following behind him and saying he was speaking blasphemously, but he was standing tall. He was doing what he felt he was called to do, that he knew he was called to do, and he was out there. And he wasn't ashamed to share, as he says, for it is God's power for salvation to everyone. You know, that power to save was something that he talks about a lot in this book. And you know, it's a message that, you know, at some point it's so mockingly a lot of times today in the press and everything else, it almost silences us. Because it's, you know, if you're a Christian, you're wrong. <laughs> I mean, a lot of times the way the press and, and the way you read and some groups, um, if you're a Christian, I'm against anything you believe in. So some of that is still today. And we've got to be aware of that and, you know, decide, I guess, where we stand. Yeah, he's, he's breaking through the barrier when he tells the people that, you know, it's for everybody. Because that wasn't what the Jews believed. Uh, they saw themselves as God-elect and that it was... They were God's elect that didn't bring a responsibility. 
to share who God really was and what God was about. Um, God's power, as he talks about it, is that is the power of God for our salvation to everyone. In raising Christ from the dead, he showed that Christ, that Jesus was his son, and that he had the power, being God, to raise him from the dead. And that that was something that, you know, we ourselves could look forward to and we'll get into it. Um, And also to Paul, salvation won something that happened when we come to believe. It was something that existed before us and it will exist afterwards. Our salvation is just a piece of it. We have something to look forward to. It's not just you walk down the uh, aisle, you know, I guess in the Baptist church, usually they have a call at the end of every service and some people walk forward at that point in time. It's not just that point of walking down. It's not where we uh, accept Christ. It's a continuing salvation that God has and that's that power that is for us. Um, it's real reality. The righteousness of God and the the English, there's not a good word for what Paul was saying because righteous and justice are really part of the same word. And while we, they have the same root. And so while you think of it differently, we almost need to write, read it with the thought of both. And it's just like faith and believing. Um, like if Cindy asked me, is the I'm grilling out, and a lot of times I cook a steak for her on Sunday night. She'll ask me, "Well, is the steak ready?" And I go, "Well, I believe it is." Well, you know what I'm doing there when I say it is, I'm giving myself a little room that maybe it's not. But in faith, we see it as. I believe in something that I can't see and I know it to be true. So belief and faith to Paul were the same thing. We don't have the wiggle worm that sometimes when we say I believe that um, we can kind of, well, I thought it was, but I wasn't sure. With Paul, they were the same. And so when we read in this, particularly 16 and 17, where it either says righteousness, it can be justice. Where we see faith, it can be belief. And so the righteousness of God uh, is there um, for us. And it's what God has done is shown that his power is taking us where he wants us to be, where we can be by our faith. In our daily living, so it is revealed from faith for faith or from faith to faith. You know, the first faith we had is in believing. The the second one is in our daily living, how we move forward how we live today and tomorrow. And then the righteous shall live by faith. Uh, 
Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. It's given to him. So Paul there is looking back. A lot of times Paul looked back using his early training as a Pharisee and he knew the Old Testament. So as he would write, he would look into and look back to help the Jew move forward and the rest of us just to see. And even in Philippians, he talks about that. Let's see if I marked it the right place. In Philippians 3.9, um, the righteous from God that depends on faith, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so, you know, he, it's a theme of his. God's holiness is, you know, God in, in righteousness of God, it's right standing with God, it's holiness and justice. And it's the way saviors or way sinners are saved through Christ's death meets the demand of His holy nature. You know, God is a just God, but that doesn't mean He just totally ignores our sins. But He's provided a way for us to come to Him and be clean. Uh, you know, it's like say a speeding ticket or something even more, you know, the court really doesn't care who pays the fine for my speeding ticket. They just want the fine paid. Well, this is a lot more, but from a similar standpoint, there's punishment for our sin, but Christ in His death took that upon Himself. So God's provided the way for us through His holiness to be able to come into His presence. And so that's that righteousness that is there. Um, then if someone would be kind enough to read 18 through um, 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and, all and, and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they, were, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and his vines and his birds and animals and creeping things. Thank you. There's a lot going on in the world that back then, before, uh, in the Old Testament, today, that the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of man, man refuses to see what God has done. And 
just because what you may see looks okay, and Wright used uh, a description of a tree that looked very healthy being cut down. And it was a big, big tree, and I think we've all seen ones like this. It's a healthy-looking tree, but the roots are rotted. And so when the tree comes down and you look at it, there's a hole in the, through the center. It's darkened. It doesn't have that appearance of wood that is living. It's decayed. It's gone. And so it's just a matter of time before the tree falls. The disease is there. It's in it. And you know, I was, as I read through right, I was thinking about uh, the tornadoes we had that came through Tuscaloosa and Birmingham uh, a couple of years ago. Earlier in that same day, about 12 hours before, there had been a tornado that came through Cahaba Heights, which in and of itself would have been some news had what happened that afternoon not happened. And a big oak tree that I could see from my house and sitting, standing on my deck was down. It was just literally snapped at the ground. The roots didn't come up. But you could see this big hole in it. And it was a tree such that two people in this room with the longest arms stood on the opposite sides couldn't have held hands. So it was obviously diseased. It was damaged. The same thing is that's a simplified version, so to speak, of what Paul is talking about here is how people have suppressed the truth. They see something and they see it as something that it's not. They ignore what's really there. You know, God, it says, is plain, you know, God has been made known to them and it's plain to them because God has shown it to them. You know, they can see what God has done, but they ignore it. They choose to. And I remember pretty vividly when I was a scout and was doing a canoe trip in northern Minnesota and southern Canada. And we had had one day where the guy that was Mr. Branco had pushed us and pushed us and we stopped for the night on an island and it had, you know, a big hill on it or whatever and myself and a couple others, we climbed up it. And looking back over where we had been that day, the thing that hit me more than anything else was not how rough a day it was, that anybody up there looking at that, there was no way you could deny God. It just, what I was seeing just couldn't have been there unless there was a creator. And it's people ignoring things like that that leads to the unrighteousness and ungodliness. They see other things. And in this period of time, if you'll recall, most nations then, the Greeks, the Romans, the Egyptians before then, the Persians, they had gods that were carved out of stone, wood. They were animals. They were objects, and that's what they worshipped. And now in Rome, they're worshipping the Caesar, who says he was God's, and they are ignoring what's there before them. They're wanting to see 
something that's not. You know, human mankind now has become rotten to the core. And, of course, it's not just now. It's since the garden. You know, we had Adam and Eve. And since then, since that apple, man has looked away to try to be equal with God or ignore God as God. And so Paul is working them through this need that they have, that we have, that the power that is there has been there all along, but they're suppressing the truth. Well, that, 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 that's what sin is. Yes. I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. That's right. Mm-hmm. You know, we find other things to worship. It's easier. Now, it doesn't have to be, you know, the, the stone god, the image, the animal, the made-up Vulcan um, up on the mountain there. Um, it's not something that we make up ourselves, but yet we do it every day, and it becomes that driving force in our lives. I'm curious as to how you would define the word righteousness. And let me elaborate a little bit. You've got, on the one side, you've got monks that live a cloistered life and spend all their life praying to God. But they don't really do anything for anybody except they, they spend all day praying and chanting and whatever. You know, on the other hand, I'm, I think we've all known people like this who don't who do a lot of good work. I mean, they donate money, they support, you know, and are very, that's the kindest people you've ever seen, but they don't go to church. They just don't have any faith, but they do. They they do what you you and I would normally think would be Christian acts because they are so kind to people. How many have that? I'm just curious as to how you when when, when this when they talk about somebody who's righteous or unrighteous. What's, you know, is it a combination or what? I mean, what what, 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 what really counts? I mean, because I mean, it's a works versus faith type of thing. You know, it's, I guess. And, and um, <coughs> Bible study classes, Alan Ross class. I know Alan Ross totally believes it works. You know, and uh, if your place in heaven is based on how many good works you get. He, I don't. I, 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 I was going to say that too. It, I think he probably is saying that because you know, works are like your good works are like filthy rags. Because, but the key thing is, is that when you by faith, you come by faith, and then the works follow that God has called you to do. And if you do the works where he gets the glory, then those are right in his sight that he enabled you to do what you have to do. I have had an extended discussion that's very important with your husband. He and Alan Ross are exactly opposite. I'm trying to express it very well. But I think Alan Ross would, I, surely he wouldn't just say, take an order. He wouldn't be teaching here if he, if he believed that it would work. He doesn't he, he teach that, you have, that your works get you to heaven. He says your faith gets you to heaven, but then your works determine whether you're at level A or B or C. Or, that there are levels. I'm not, that I, I'm not well, yeah, proposing this. I'm just saying that's, that's what different. he said. No, 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 and the, the mm-hmm. clergy of Advent, including... Um, John have not, I mean, have violently, not, have strongly 
hold that view. That it doesn't matter. I mean, faith is what it's really what otherwise well, my, my understanding, and, and I'm not sure exactly who told me this or how I came to believe this or think this, but my, my understanding is that there is some language in the in the Bible that suggests that you know that there may be different sort of levels in in heaven. Well, I, 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 I certainly don't know. I'm not a scholar, but I know. Well, the thing, it, it is in there somewhere that, that you can pick up on, but the thing also is that um, we can't know because our hearts are so deceitful above all things. So we never know if if that's, God's going to judge that. And what is, is done in our power by our glory is going to be burned up. So I don't know. My way of looking at it is I'm just getting over the line. I just hope I hear the angels sing. I, I, I don't need to be right up on the front row in the orchestra session. Because, you know, because he's going to be just and righteous. He's gonna, but that's when it says about, uh, for it is the righteousness of God that is receiving faith. Well, the rightness, when your right standing is before God, is revealed from from your faith. So if you can just have that little bit, the other part, you can guess and hope and yeah. struggle. And because I, I heard somebody thing. say, "My gosh, who would want to be a Christian if they had to go through all this works and struggles and works and works and works?" Then it, it'd be very difficult for them. So um, he can, whatever he's saying is not going to, I think, affect his salvation. It just might reflect. His, um, this gets into what did oh, uh, Dean Limehouse used to say? It's peri peri. It's a periphery. <laughs> it's not something that, that, that needs to be out because you don't know. Like, that's like how when you get into the book of Revelation, there's so many things in there. And it's five or six ways of looking at everything. And as one person said, <clears throat> I'm not a pre millennialist, I'm a millennialist, I'm a pan millennialist because I think it's all pan out. You just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, so it's it's one of those things you you can you can argue over it forever and ever. But the key is, have you accepted Jesus Christ? But in the context of this, what does righteousness mean? That's really what well, I let me. I don't know how Alan Ross would answer that, or John Harper, or anybody else. But I think I know what Paul would say. That your question, the way you posed your question, is a category error. That the issue isn't righteousness as defined by anything that any of us do. He's talking about the righteousness of God. That is the perfection, the absolute, spotless, per- perfect standard that nobody can meet. I think if we think about it that way, it it gives us the the context to understand. <coughs> His message in Romans in the way faith and works interact with one another. But righteousness is all about a standard that is established by God. And it's it's not something that we do. And it's right there. You know, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith and the righteousness shall live by that. So a right standing of God has to do with faith. Which is looking in the, in the footnotes to the ESV on the righteousness of God. One of the things is, it says is the right standing before God. 
which would be a legal term uh, or legal reality. But in addition, it uh, goes on to say, refers directly to God's right moral character, particularly manifested in his holiness and justice, and in the way that his method of salvation of saving sinners through Christ's death meets the just demands of his holy nature. And so here again, that gets to that right standing before God. But also, as I said before, in the, the terms that Paul used, righteousness and justice and justify, right standing, all flow from the same root word. And so they're interlinked. So God's justice and God's righteousness are pretty close to meaning the same thing. Well, is it, is, would it be inappropriate for any one of us to say that Frank Limehouse, for example, or the Pope Benedict or whoever was a righteous person? We can see that, but that becomes, you know, our view, not God's view. Maybe... Maybe the way we express it is, yes, of course they're righteous because of imputed righteousness. Mm-hmm. Okay. People that can be called sinners. Isn't that right? I mean, yeah. is there any well, other way to be this. righteous? There's, well, compared this, to me, a lot is easy. But, you know, I'm just, no, I mean, compared to the compared to the standard of God. Well, I mean, I mean, I, is there I, any other way to be righteous as? As the as real righteousness, God's perfection. Right. Is there any way to be righteous other than the imputed righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ? I submit that there's not, and that's the but that's the good news. And it's not false humility. Uh, every now and then, somebody might run across you and say you're self-righteous, and they are the ones that don't know about the scriptures. That there's no self-righteousness. Your righteousness is. The righteousness of Christ, which is by faith and accepted, which is a gift in itself. <coughs> so think, about the, think about the the, the prodigal son. We get, get we get around around the axle about the prodigal son as to whether that whether we want to be like the, the prodigal son or like the older brother. But the story is really about the father. The, the parable is about the father and his reaction to the two sons and the moment that the prodigal comes home and throws himself at his feet the father picks him up and puts on his shoulders that cloak that's a a perfect image of imputed righteousness it's interesting that um, 117, there's a note that the first back to Habakkuk. 2-4, the whole, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Nathan, you were. What I was going to say is one thing I've noticed in the lesson thus far in Romans is that we're dealing with righteousness and God, and yet Paul was struck down by Jesus to go out and preach his gospel. And uh, the emphasis here is not on Jesus. And uh, it raises another question. The Jews that are primarily his audience and 
intended to receive these letters in the churches. Are they converted Jews, or are they still Orthodox Jews? And what, what is their belief in relation to Jesus? That's what I, I seem to be missing right here. The, the, the Jews that were in Rome and other places where Paul wrote letters had come to believe in Christ as the Son of God. Not all of them. No, the, the, audience, the audience that he's talking to, yeah. But there was the group that followed behind Paul that were the ones that he's off his rocker. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But yet they would go to listen to Paul, knowing that he was... Uh, Some would come to hear and then stale back and refute. And But, you know, it's also others that were not had never been Jews in their life. I mean, that in, in Romans, Paul is writing to both because there was a faction in the Roman church that it had gotten to be in other churches at that time too. You kind of had two groups. They both ultimately believed that Christ was the Son of God. But how is a Jew first and a Christian second, or a Greek, a Gentile, and then this, where you fit in with that. And that's why Paul in this first chapter is talking about effectively this message of the gospel of God is for everybody. Not just your group versus my group. And I've heard um, <clears throat> someone that I know um, say... Uh, you don't go to the to the Jew and tell them because they're God's chosen people, which is true. They are His chosen people, but they didn't chose His choose His person. So, but but Paul himself, I mean, they didn't choose Jesus. But Paul himself went out to the Jews first. He'd go to a synagogue as soon as he get off the boat, and and then from there on, he saw that they the ears were closed in a lot of them. And he ended up uh, going to the Gentiles. So it's not just for us now, the Jews, because they are God's chosen people and they knew him, but they didn't recognize the Christ when he came. So they are the ones that didn't choose. The chosen people didn't choose. Well, I've heard it expressed too that the Jews, the sons of Abraham in the lineage didn't appreciate what being God's chosen meant in that it was they were chosen to share the message of God and they elected not to they thought they were chosen so you know I get to wear the good coat <laughs> or as John the Baptist put it God could make these stones in the sons of Abraham so what what does it mean? Well, and he's, they're coming back in. I mean, he said, I don't know when the certain number of coming, but then the Jews are. But this particular lady, and I won't belabor this, but she just didn't feel that she was playing bridge with her people that uh, that she should ever mention uh, our Christian faith. And because they were chosen, so they should know, uh, and she shouldn't interfere with God's chosen. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, but that's... anyway, they didn't choose. The chosen didn't choose. Is is is, is uh, kindergarten. 
And so it's a matter of going out and, and proclaiming like Paul did. Yeah, we you know, need to share it whether they hear it is different. When Romans was written, it's my understanding that most of the Jews had already been expelled from Rome. That there were more Gentiles within the church in Rome. They had, but they were coming back, and that was part of what led to the conflict, is that Claudius had kicked them out. And now he was dead. Nero was the emperor, the Caesar, and so they were coming back in, and the Roman church had grown and in, in, with an increase in Gentiles, non-Jews, and now all of a sudden the Jews came back and are trying to take over where they were. And that led to a bunch of the conflict that Paul is trying to help them understand you're both right with God. And then the, that group of Jews, Judaizers, they thought that you, if you're a Gentile, you must become a Jew or, or adhere to all the laws first before you could even accept Christ. Even and, Jews that believed in Christ. Right, and Paul and Peter had already had that discussion in Jerusalem. You know, God here it hates activity that defaces, damages, you know, destroys the world and mankind. Uh, you know, by not honoring Him, you're rejecting Him. That does, you know, back to my tree thing. The roots have become diseased. And something has to happen to the tree. You know, God lets things go and man do, uh, but at points in time, people come forward, events come forward, that God helps redirect the boat, so to speak. And Paul is one of those agents of change, if you will, of trying to help the new Christians see what God's plan for them is. And it gets into heavy reading. Um, next week, we'll get into some more challenging um, when he's, it talks about three times in verses 24 through uh, the end of the chapter God gave them up and various reasons of why that happened. And But then he goes in to talk about God's, as we start chapter 2, God's righteous judgment and how well, we I are thinking. Uh, this study is going to bring up a lot of uh, questions. Well, John and I were talking the other day about, has. yeah, it has, talking about the heavy lifting that was going to get done in the next uh, months to come. But uh, thank you all.